Self-destruct sequencing. Welcome to our terrible review mini-series, My Mando and Me. My Mando and Me. For three friends hanging out, talking about whatever seems interesting at the time. And for now, that's The Mandalorian Season 2. If we haven't met before, hi, my name is Robert. Hi, I'm James. In your ear holes, this is Nathan. We're taking a break from our regularly scheduled programming to share our thoughts on each chapter of Season 2 of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. After each chapter airs, you can expect a review to drop the Sunday after. No one likes spoilers. We must heed the words of Jedi Master Yoda. Spoilers are the path to the dark side. Spoilers lead to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Many spoilers I sense in you. (laughs) (laughs) From here on out, we're in spoiler territory. Chapter 13, The Jedi. Written and directed by Dave Filoni. The Mandalorian and the Child continue their journey through a dangerous galaxy a.k.a. the most generic episode description ever. <laughs> we'll walk through the chapter chronologically, covering what happens along the way, and share any thoughts we ha- or notes we have as we progress. So let's get started, shall we? An alarm bell rings above a town with panicked residents and soldiers scurrying about. A fight of some kind is taking place just outside the walls in a petrified forest. I was getting some serious... The Rise of Skywalker Mustafar vibes when we first see this shot of the forest. Um, it's a little bit brighter in The Rise of Skywalker, but it still kind of had that same vibe. So for a moment, I was like, I thought we were going to Corvus. This looks a lot like Mustafar. Um, but I'm glad to see that that wasn't the case. Uh, but it did throw me off for a moment. Yeah, and I guess it looks like they didn't want to waste any time getting right away to having us uh, the reveal of Rosario Dawson playing the live-action Ahsoka Tano. I gotta say, though, visually her appearance might be in line with the animated version, but later on when we actually get to hear her speak and stuff, I'm not fully sold on Dawson's voice as Ahsoka, but to be fair, that might just be my ears are conditioned to hearing Ashley Eckstein in that role since gosh 2008 yeah that's a long long time they really weren't wasting any time here um i'm glad they didn't string us along for nearly the entire episode for her to just show up in the third act or something like that um and while hey, revealed- just, just like ahsoka strung the mandalorian along <laughs> call forward to later in the episode and while the reveal is pretty neat Uh, It was a little underwhelming for me and ended up kind of creating this theme that you'll hear from me throughout the chapter. I've since come around after a few viewings, but I still kind of still, I still kind of hold that, that viewpoint. Um, I want to say up front, this is my opinion and my feelings on the chapter, the characters in the show. So please don't let it ruin any of your fun. If you disagree with what I have to say, that's fine. Star Wars is for everyone. Um, but this just didn't feel as grand as I wanted it to be. I was hoping for more of like a hero moment reveal. Um, like maybe they hide her face for as long as possible until she's forced to remove her hood or forcibly remove something along those lines. I think a lot of the cap wheels, Majoner moment in Marvel's Endgame, where you're like, who is this person that's calling Mjolnir? Who is worthy? And then you have this, oh, hell yeah, it's cap. And that's kind of the moment that I wanted uh, for Ahsoka. You know, I wanted this kind of like, you know, who is this person? Or at least we get, we have an idea of who it is. You know, we're not, they're not pulling the wool over our eyes here. We were expecting to get Ahsoka, but just that, I think of the Bo-Katan moment, you know, where they show up and you're like, we know she's coming and you can kind of tell it's her. You see the owl figures and stuff, but then they have that cool, they kind of stop you see the owl on her helmet. You're like, that's definitely Bo-Katan. The helmet comes off and you get that amazing reveal. I was hoping for something along those lines for Ahsoka and we didn't get that. Um, you know, and so it just kind of just threw me threw me off. I wish, I was hoping for something a little bigger. I mean, to, to be fair, like the, the way that they frame this opening scene, which I did enjoy, it's like the, the way she just keeps, you know, blending into the fog lightsaber going off kind of moving around almost like a a horror movie slasher villain after each kill just you know popping in and out we we don't really get a big reveal of her until she's you know standing there still everybody's dead she's talking to the magistrate 
So she does sort of get the little reveal, maybe not as grand as you're looking for, but it's there to me. Using the force and her two white bladed lightsabers, Ahsoka does handily take out the remaining soldiers and appears at the gate of the town like James was talking about to meet the registrate. And I do agree with James. It was a really neat um, scene. I do like her vanishing in and out, kind of like a ghost. She's turning the lightsabers off after every kill. So she's hiding within the fog. And so it, it was um, really cool. I just, you know, again, it just wasn't the reveal that I had liked, but it's all right. <laughs> I do want to comment on the guard's design, which is going to hark back to the premise of it being okay for Disney to show faceless enemies dying. It kind of bothers me that this town's citizens, they're all human. The magistrate, human. Hired gunman, he's human too. The random guards following the magistrate's orders and who look like they don't belong on this planet to begin with, we have no idea what species they are. They're not human. They are speaking in hoodies amongst each other. Subtitles clearly point out when they do speak English. And when they do speak English, it's wet sounding. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense because it seems like they got some kind of like breathing apparatus on their uniforms with a hose. If they breathe the same air as humans, why do they need that even with the burned down forest? Everyone else is having no issues with the extra ash and smoldering smoke and everything. It just, they feel out of place for me. And I feel like it was Disney censors who mandated that the guards they fight against and kill have to be faceless. And in lieu of making them fight just more stormtroopers, they went with the design that we have. Stormtroopers? Yeah. And it just, it sticks out like a, some, like a sore thumb for me. I just, I have no idea why they chose this design. And that's what we got. I just feel like, especially if the magistrate, as revealed later, was working for the Empire, they should have been stormtroopers. I mean, honestly, any kind of explanation at this point, short of, you know, any official stuff is going to be grasping at straws. If you want to grasp at one, we learn later the magistrate is some sort of, has some sort of deal with the Imperial Navy ship designer. I don't know, whatever. Maybe these are people who have been in her employ long enough that they're suffering secondary breathing effects and they need these apparatuses. I don't know. At the gate, Ahsoka is confronted by the magistrate uh, who has information Ahsoka needs. The magistrate threatens the lives of the townsfolk if Ahsoka does not yield. Um, and to no one's surprise, she does not and doubles down by giving the magistrate one day to decide to give her the information she seeks before essentially, I guess, something bad will happen. I, and I apologize again in advance if you get tired of my negativity, but I'm sorry, what? Ah Ahsoka may be bluffing but I don't feel that it's in her character to just kind of dismiss the well-being of the people uh, just to get whatever it is she needs, How, regardless of how important it is. At least that's the sense that I got from Ahsoka in this moment. Um, we have seen Ahsoka struggle with this idea in the Clone Wars animated series, sacrificing others to achieve her goal. But by this point, we know that she's learned that lesson. I do understand that it has been quite some time since we have seen her, so she maybe has gone through some things. But... It just felt weird to me that like we left her this kind of, you know, moral compass of sorts. And then she's just kind of like, you know, oh, well, they're already suffering anyway. So it's fine if you threaten their lives kind of deal. Like that ministry could have very well have killed that person right then and there. You know, I, I was getting kind of these Game of Thrones Cersei style thing where she kills um, one of the characters whose name escapes me now. It's been so long since I've seen the show. Um, when they basically decide not to yield and they kill the person right then and there. Um, so it just, it just felt out of character for me. And I, it, it made it, it killed that moment. It's funny because this whole introduction of Ahsoka for this episode, it, it doesn't feel incorrect for me from what I've seen of Ahsoka in the Clone Wars. I think the way they revealed her for this episode is perfect because to me, anything more grandiose would have been against her because she's not a drama queen like Anakin is. And we see her in the Clone Wars always defending those who are defenseless. She's always standing up for them. Even with the, the clone troopers, she's trying to defend their humanity and that they still have a place in this world regardless if they were just born to fight a war. And so it's, it's interesting to me that she, she has a goal and anybody in her way is an enemy. So it's not even that the magistrate is her enemy but the fact that the magistrate is withholding information, that's the enemy and that's what she's fighting against. So she doesn't kill the magistrate. She just whittles her down until she reveals the information. When she's fighting the guards, she's only fighting the guards who are attacking her. There's one point where she pulls a gun out of someone's hand and he just kind of like stops and then runs away and she doesn't go after him. So, I mean, it's, 
I think for this episode, for people who have no idea who she is, this entire sequence has been a great introduction for her and her character. Yeah, I, I'm just going to chalk up that this is Ahsoka trying to call this lady's bluff. Like she, I, I think they both realize that as soon as the killing starts, if all these prisoners are starting to be killed, that yeah, Ahsoka will just start coming, not quite for vengeance, but you know, just short of vengeance. Don't want to go full dark side there. Not so yet. yeah, they're, they're both at a stalemate at that point. So I, I assume that Ahsoka, you know, giving that whole extra day is probably in her mind, just giving her some extra planning time for how she's going to take everybody down while keeping the prisoners safe. Gotta love prep time. <laughs> so Mando and the child arrive above Corvus and begin their landing cycle. They land and head into town to look for a lead on Ahsoka's whereabouts. Uh, at the gate, they are met with the leader of the guards, Lang, uh, who questions Mando's place there and then eventually allows him to enter. Um, I like this moment when they're on the ship. We get more father-son moments with uh, Mando and the child. Um, like the eggs, the child seems obsessed with that ball on the little control stick on the console ever since the beginning of the series. Um, I also think it's funny how Mando says that the ball needs to stay on the ship, but then just tucks it in his belt and doesn't return it back to the ship. Chekhov's gun much? Yeah, for sure. Check I would just chalk it up to this has happened probably to him enough times that he's like, I'm not going to take the extra 10 minutes to go back on the ship and reattach this. Probably. Uh, we also get a neat moment here where um, Lang asks Mando if he's a hunter. And he's basically, yeah. And then he asks if he's part of the gun, uh, part of the, the guild. And we get a, his response is last I checked, which is great because he's basically, well, I can't say yes. Cause I'm not exactly sure, but grief did say that they would welcome me back into the guild. So yeah, last I checked. <laughs> and it's not like they have any way to verify that information anyways. So I, I just thought it was a neat little callback to like, yeah, we're not sure what his status with the guild is, but as far as we know, yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, and we have Lang here being played by uh, Michael Bean of Aliens and Terminator fame, which, hey, I like those movies. So this was cool to see him again. It took me a minute to realize it was him at first because, for better or for worse, aging is a thing. And these movies I know him from are from the 80s, but his, his voice is really distinct. So if you just close your eyes, you can see, oh, yeah, there's that young Kyle Reese. So Mando walks around town trying to ask people information, but the townsfolk either walk off or ask Mando not to speak to them. And then Mando is called to meet with the magistrate before he can get any information from anyone. Um, and this is again, another thing that's kind of bugging me. Like we really don't know what's going on and maybe that's maybe that's supposed to be that way. Um, we're supposed to be part of Mando's confusion about what's happening. Uh, but there really isn't anything shown or stated that gives indication or clue as to why these people are so fearful, um, how they're being oppressed. Uh, we do see some people in some kind of electroshock shackles thing and display in front of the magistrate's palace. But like, why? What did they do? We're not really given any explanation now or even by the end of the episode about why the magistrate is being this way to these people, other than the fact that, yeah, she's probably abusing them for you know, her industrial empire, but it just... So you just kind of answered your own question there. I kind of, but I just, I don't know. Like, it was one of those things like, why is she torturing these people? Like, you know... Because she wants their land or whatever. Sure. I feel like um, the reason why they never revealed it kind of added to the whole underlying sort of pseudo theme of fear because of how much is talked about later on. And just, you know, we have the Mandalorian coming into the situation where people are being oppressed and subjugated by this very evil woman and never given a reason. So now we're just kind of on edge and on fear all the time. Like, what did they do that, you know, people who are afraid to talk to outsiders, you know, are fearing for their lives. And I, I get why you didn't care for, but again, going with the whole that if this episode is going to talk about fear, you got to talk about fear from every aspect, including the unknown. Yeah. I like that explanation. I will admit it's it's really those prisoners being strung up like that in the cages for the whole town to see was just to me especially grim dark. Like, you know, I, I get it that the town is in dire straits. Magistrate, 
pure evil. I don't know that we needed to see this. Like, like these people are, if I remember correctly, like they're, they're basically begging Mandalorian to kill them as he's walking past. Like th- these people are oof, not, not great positions here. Mando meets with the magistrate who explains that uh, the Jedi is causing problems for her and he hires him to hunt down Ahsoka in exchange for a spear made of pure Beskar. Uh, Mando accepts the job and leaves town in search of his new target. Uh, so finally, something positive uh, in this episode. I like that the magistrate is essentially paying Mando to do what he is already there for. Uh, he knows that, she doesn't, and I kind of like that he's like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do the thing. Um, and, uh, you know, at first, I started thinking myself, like, maybe this might open up the opportunity for him to turn on Ahsoka, but in, not in reality. I think he's basically just like, oh, you're going to give me Beskar that I was probably going to take from you anyway to find a person that I was needing to find anyway. And you're going to kind of point me in the direction of where she might be. So perfect. Win-win for, for me. Um, so... You know, and then I like how he actually doesn't agree to do anything. He ends his conversation with, where do I find the Jedi? So the implication is there, but he doesn't say, yeah, I'll go ahead and do it. So he doesn't have to necessarily go back on his word as if it really mattered to him uh, in this context. It's almost kind of like letting the magistrate, you know, uh, tie her own noose with her own rope type of thing, setting up her own downfall. For sure. So Mando and the child head out into the petrified forest on their search, uh, tracing Ahsoka's movements. Mando thinks he hears something, but it's really only a large creature in the distance. Ahsoka emerges from nowhere and attacks Mando, and they both fight briefly until Mando shouts her name and tells her that he's been sent by Bo-Katan. Here we go. I can hear the collective of deep Star Wars nerds crying foul. Beskar armor can straight up block lightsabers. And to be honest, this doesn't bother me. Uh, It seems like this would be something that makes sense. Both the Clone Wars animated series and the armor back in season one uh, teach us that Jedi and Mandalore have been at odds for some time. So it only makes sense that Mandalorians would develop their armor and weapons to be able to stand up to Jedi. Uh, And then I was reminded in some things that I was seeing online that in the series finale for Clone Wars, uh, Bo-Katan brings out this kind of like box that they capture Maul in that she mentions was built for capturing Jedi to keep them in and limit their connection to the Force so they couldn't break themselves out. So just further proof that, yeah, it makes total sense that Beskar blocks lightsabers and I love the way that we kind of get that surprise reveal because we're like oh crap he's gonna lose an arm and then the best guard blocks it and you're like that is awesome um and I like this like back and forth where you know he ties her up she jumps over a branch and pulls him up and he's just like wait 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 I'm not trying to fight you we're on the same side yeah Um, it's, it's really it's really good that the typical two heroes who meet for the first time have an unfortunate misunderstanding fight between Ahsoka and Mandalorian was short because we did not need eating up too much of the runtime when we have so many more answers we need to get to. And also a fun little thing I didn't notice on my first run through, uh, when he gets to the location where you know Ahsoka is supposed to be, we get a little shot from the distance and it's real quick. I didn't, it's, uh, there's a shot of her owl or maybe not Ahsoka's owl, but one that's usually associated with her in the background. It's just really hard to see because the whole scene is dark but you see a little, a little head twist thing. And I think you hear it make some noise. So that was nice. It's something one would expect from Dave Filoni. He puts a lot of that imagery out there with her. Yeah, that owl is called the Morai. Um, in the Star Wars universe, uh, it is a convor, which is basically an owl-like creature. It's got spiritual ties to the daughter who gave her life to save Ahsoka's in the Mortis arc of that show. Um, and... The Morai does show up several times afterwards whenever Ahsoka's on scene having a very critical or meaningful moment. Uh, For example, it shows up at the very end of the series finale when uh, Darth Vader is standing there holding Ahsoka's lightsabers. Um, The Morai can be seen flying up above him. Um, It's a really neat 
Mortis Arc is a really neat, trippy arc of that show. Guys, go watch Clone Wars and Rebels. Okay. <laughs> we'll wait. We'll okay, wait. now we're back. Yeah. You done yet? <laughs> um, it was funny because my whole reaction to that part where he brings up his forearms to block the lightsaber strike, the, the train of reaction was like, whoa, that was so cool. And wait. No, okay, yeah, I can buy it. Because... I remember in the uh, the old Legends canon, there was only ever two ways to block a lightsaber, and one was cortosis, which is a very brittle mineral that doesn't really block the lightsaber, but whenever a lightsaber makes a connection to it, it shuts the blade off. And it's a very brittle material, so you could actually like chop away at it if you kept reigniting your lightsaber over and over again. So it's, it's not cortosis that the Beskar armor is made of, but another thing was a superconductor, as in a piece of metal that you can put an energy source to it and over time, you could get through it, but it would melt the entire thing. And so Beskar could be a superconductor, and that would make sense that he could he could block a lightsaber with it because it just kind of absorbs it, disperses the heat and energy real quick. And since it's just a momentary glance at the lightsaber blade, it wouldn't melt right away. It would just take a very long time. Uh, and so anybody out there who doesn't like this, there is scientific reasoning to it, and just get over it. It's cool. <laughs> Science fiction, scientific reasoning. You're right, because superconductors do not exist in the real world yet. We have to give them a cape. <laughs> <laughs> so Ahsoka spends some time one-on-one -on -one with the child while Mando watches from a distance. Uh, Ahsoka eventually calls Mando over to discuss the child. Um, before we get into the meat and potatoes of what's going on here, because there's a lot coming up, uh, I thought this was a little weird that the Mando was kind of just away from them in the distance, um, you know, and it's not the usual Mando is too trusting. Why is he leaving this? Why is he leaving the child with Ahsoka, this person he just met? Um, it's just more of a, you know, why is it necessary for him to leave them alone? Maybe she asked that, but we don't get that on screen. So it just felt weird that, you know, hey, I brought this kid here to talk to you. And then he just kind of stands off in the distance and just lets the two of them talk and is awkwardly pacing back and forth. Although I did find his pacing to be a little humorous. It was very like startling and sudden that they are talking face to face and in the very next cutaway, he is, like you said, 10 feet away and just kind of pacing like a predator. And you're just kind of like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so uh, Ahsoka and the child rejoin Mando and Ahsoka explains that she and Grogu can feel each other's thoughts. We learn- Grogu, what's a Grogu? Well, sorry, Frieza, but I'm canceling your date with Goku. <laughs> what's a Goku? Father, I know you're bored, but please try to keep up. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we learn he was raised in the Jedi Temple on Coruscant and was trained by many masters over the years. At the end of uh, the Clone Wars, he was taken away and hidden, and from there, his memories become dark. So how is it explained by Ahsoka? Uh, they discuss that Grogu's Force abilities, and Mando tells Ahsoka that his task was to bring Grogu, Grogu to a Jedi. Mm -hmm. Now, I've long had this idea that no matter what the child's name ended up being, it was probably going to be underwhelming. Again, my theme for this episode. And at least at first, it was. I was like, Grogu? I mean... I don't have any better ideas for a name. Um, I think it was a lose-lose no matter what they named him. I was probably not going to like it, but it may grow on me over time. Um, It'll grow goo on you. <laughs> thanks for stealing my joke for later in this review. Um, I, I also, I'm also a little concerned about how connected the show is becoming. Now, I love connections in Star Wars, and I like how it connects little things here and there, um, but... My concern is the connection between this and the impl impl implications of its connection to the greater Skywalker saga. You know, we we get that he was raised on Coruscant and, you know, that starts connecting Mandalorian with Skywalker saga. And I thought that that was over with in The Rise of Skywalker. So I don't mind the connective tissue kind of growing here, but I just, I'm getting a little worried that we're, we're bringing in some of the elements that I don't necessarily care for in this in in Star Wars as a whole. 
Hey, yeah. honestly, you got to feel for all the marketing people who are now going to have to go store to store with the Sharpie, cross out the child, write Grogu <laughs> on all these little, you know, figurines and knickknacks and whatnot. It's probably going to be more like they're just going to re-release the child toys and labeled as Grogu. That way you'll have to have two baby Yodas in your house. One called the child, one called Grogu. That was a joke. Eh. Um. Yeah, also, I definitely yeah, feel... Uh, uh, out of all the, all the things that we got an answer for in this episode, I was not expecting we were going to get a name for the child. So that was weird, but okay, sure. Yeah, it didn't feel out of place, and I don't really have a problem with Grogu. Um, I do get your whole connecting with the rest of the Skywalker story arc from episodes one through nine of the movies, because like I, I want to know about the Mandalorian and not really how he connects to Skywalker. I mean, to me, I'm done with Skywalker. I've been done with Skywalker for a very long time. And so it's it's kind of cool to see the connectivities, like you said, but for the most part, I just I feel like them starting with that he was raised on Coruscant, it, it makes this whole timeline cut really close because that would mean Grogu had you know, at most 10 years of living as Ahsoka said he did before the Battle of Naboo and the Phantom Menace, and then about another 13 years until the conclusion of the Clone Wars, the formation of the Galactic Empire in Order 66. So he was in his early 20s when he went into hiding, and he was less developed than he currently is, and he was able to survive like that for 30 years? I, I like the premise of giving him a runaway story to help establish his fear in general and why he would become so attached to uh, the Mandalorian. I just, I don't think he should have been at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Maybe have it that he was on his way to be the next Tridactyl trained at the temple, like a replacement Yoda or something. And then en route to Coruscant, his protectors were jumped, nearly escaped, Order 66 happened. And then from then on, you know, was on the run with these exiled Jedi who were protecting him. And it was these exiled Jedi that they were the ones who feared so much, which kind of leaked over onto Grogu and then brought onto this whole thing for this episode about fear. Oh. Having fallen asleep, the two agree to let Grogu rest until morning, and then Ahsoka will test him. Uh, now morning, Ahsoka leads Grogu through some simple exercises, passing a small rock to her using the Force. Uh, after passing the rock to Grogu, Grogu doesn't pass it back. Instead, dropping it, uh, Ahsoka senses fear in Grogu, and recognizing that Mando and Grogu kind of share a connection, she asks Mando to do the test with him. Um, and after first failing, Mando actually uses the ball from earlier that he took from the ship. Um, and uh, Grogu manages to pull it from his hand using the force. Uh, more father-son stuff here. Every time the show explores the connection relationship between these two, I can't help but let it hit me right in the parenting feels. Um, we get this moment with Mando kind of complains that Grogu doesn't understand. Um, but then he's jumping for joy practically with pride when he manages to use the force and pull it from him. I thought it was a very sweet moment. So yeah, he... back, backing, backing up real quick, because I forgot to mention. So the night before when Ahsoka is giving Grogu's backstory, at one point she you know, actually brings up Yoda and we do see Grogu kind of tilt his head over and perk up. And as she's talking about Yoda very briefly, we do get some of uh, Yoda's you know, musical theme from the original trilogy in the background, which was a really nice touch. Yeah, a lot of that happening when she's talking about the force, there's a force theme is in there somewhere. When she's showing up, her theme is in there really, again, Ludwig Aronson killing it with the music. So even though they're successful, Ahsoka refuses to train Grogu. She feels fear and anger and attachment in Grogu, similar things that caused even the best of Jedi to fall. Uh, and so she'd rather just let his abilities fade. Um, this is a nice reference because it's a callback to a moment in Rebels, the animated series where Ahsoka learns that her master, Anakin Skywalker, arguably the best of the Jedi Knights, became Darth Vader. Um, and coincidentally, it echoes Yoda's own words uh, that he felt fear in Anakin when he was a child. And something else that I'm not sure if a lot of people picked up on Grogu and Anakin are the same age. So it's giving them an even more interesting parallel between these two characters. You know, even after that timeline speech, I did not make that connection about them having the same age. So upset that Ahsoka won't train him, Mando reveals that he was sent by the magistrate to kill her. And if she agrees to see that Grogu is properly trained, he'll help her with her problem. 
Uh, as they walk to town, the two discuss their strategy, so, and we learn that the magistrate- so basically, basically, Mandalorian has just kind of fully given up at this point, and he accepts the "I need to do a side quest to advance the main quest" trope that he's stuck in for better or for worse. Yeah. So as they're walking to town, the two discuss their strategy. We learn that the magistrate's name is Morgan Elsbeth, uh, and her people were massacred during the Clone Wars, and she used her anger to help build the Imperial Starfleet. This is actually an interesting thing, a bit of information that I like. Um, I like that it expands on some of the lore of the creation of the Imperial Starfleet, that we get someone who was directly impacted by the Clone Wars and then turn that anger into this fuel for rage and revenge to basically build the Empire's fleet to take over the galaxy. Um, but at the same time, we, we it, it also doesn't fully lay out what exactly her connection is. Like, we just hear, oh, her people were massacred during the Clone Wars, but we're not given any further, like, all right, well, who were her people? And that she helped, you know, build some of the Imperial fleet. Okay. What, was she, like, some long-lost offshoot of the, what is it, Nathan, the Sinar fleet people? Uh, Sinar fleet systems. Yeah. Like, is she part of them? Some other people we don't know yet? So we don't fully get all those kind of answers, which, to be fair, those are the only, those are the type of things that only heavy, heavy fans and nerds would care about anyway. <laughs> um, there are two little things here that happen too that I like. Uh, Mando calling out that a Jedi and a Mandalorian teaming up is something they'll never see coming, especially because everybody's like, yeah, you Mandalorians and Jedi have been at each other's throats forever. And then here they are teaming up. Um, and then I also like the reference to laser swords by Mando. Um, this makes a lot more sense than when Luke did it in The Last Jedi. I know a lot of people I'm bringing up repressed memories. I'm sorry. Uh, but laser swords was how the we weapon was written in the early drafts of Lucas's Star Wars film. Um, but it makes more sense for Mando to say it since he doesn't understand their weaponry completely. Uh, so for him to call it a laser sword instead of a lightsaber, I thought was a more intelligent nod to that bit in Lucas's early scripts. Your laser swords. Why do they stop? Why don't they just keep going? <laughs> I'll take laser S words for 200, please. <laughs> the only thing I wish that they would have done in the scene is I wish they would have name dropped one of the companies that helped to actually build the Imperial fleet, like Cenar fleet systems, like we mentioned a little while ago. And also Kuat drive yards would have been acceptable. Mm. And those are the only two that are really coming to mind with the Imperial Strata stories and the TIE fighters and everything. But I just really wish they would have planted in the idea that she was a part of one of those companies. But. Yeah. Uh, so Ahsoka arrives at the gate of the town alone. After breaching the gate, she claims to have killed the bounty hunter and demands that Elsbeth tell her where her master is. Uh, now at least well, we okay, know to be fair to be fair she never outright claims that she killed the mandalorian she just throws his pauldron out there on the ground and she lets the magistrate thinks what she wants to think yeah um i do like that we now at least know the information that she's after we'll soon find out exactly what that is hold on to it not spoiling that just yet um but i was asking myself who is it that is so important that she needs to know who their master is. And the wording here is very careful too, to call her, call that person her master. I just assumed it was gonna be Moff Gideon. So I didn't think nothing of it at the time. Instructing her guards to kill Ahsoka and execute everyone in town. Uh, they begin their attack and Ahsoka draws them away. Mando arrives just in time to save the prisoners before they can be executed. And Ahsoka systematically one by one eliminates the guards and there are two HK-87 assassin droids, similarly to how she did in the opening of the, the, um, the chapter. Um, these hk 47 Yeah, I'm kind of I'm disappointed that we didn't get some sort of meat bag reference from these HK droids, because they are similar to their HK-47 counterparts from the Legends continuity in the Knights of the Old Republic video games. Yeah, I was just about to say that how we haven't seen HK-87s before, but we have seen HK-47. So thanks for ruining that, meatbag. <laughs> Yoink. Two for two. Uh, and Mando showing up here at the last second to save the prisoners was kind of the hero moment that I had wanted for Ahsoka's reveal. Too bad. So with virtually all enemies eliminated, Mando has a staring match with Lang as Ahsoka infiltrates the Magistrate's palace. 
The two duel lightsabers to Beskar Spear until Ahsoka emerges victorious, as does Mando, in a high noon style duel. Um, Ahsoka demands Elsbeth give up the location of her master, Grand Admiral Thrawn. So now before you get into that, do you, do you maybe want to talk about the duel and the fate of Lang first? Yes. So Get that off your plate before you just go... <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to contain myself. Let me rush through it real quick. Um, the duel part was really neat. I like how they're both just kind of like, we're going to wait and see which one of our team members wins, and then we'll settle this dispute afterwards. And we get Lang kind of like pretending to surrender. We know he's not going to surrender. And then Mando, I, I almost, I really kind of thought at first that he was going to live to fight another day. He was just going to be your typical mercenary and be like, "Well, my guy's on the losing side. My my lady's on the losing side. I guess. Hey, whatever. It's the job. See yeah. you." But yeah, then he I had to he pull was... out his blaster, and it's like, "Come on, you 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 had to have known that your shot was not going to, you know, kill the Mandalorian with that Beskar armor." Really, the only thing Lang had going for him. His, uh, you know, shotgun blaster, scatter shot, what, whatever it was, it was really neat. It was. And then, was. so we, we have the duel between Ahsoka and the magistrate, and I actually kind of liked it. I wasn't expecting a full-on duel between the two of them, and I know a lot of people might think that, you know, the it was underwhelming and stuff, and that maybe the magistrate shouldn't should not have gotten an upper hand, an upper hand on Ahsoka. But I get the feeling it was more like Ahsoka was probably holding back in this fight, saying, you know, we, we know that she's fought in a lot tougher people, Darth Maul, Darth Vader, Darth whoever. So I'm, I'm thinking she probably held back because she knew that she needed the magistrate for the information that she held. So she's not going to go full bore and go, all right, you're a nobody. Let me kill you. If that was the case, she would have just done that days ago. But since she needed the information, she knows that she kind of has to go like, all right, I'll play with you for a little while. Oh, you knocked one of my sabers away? All right, it's on. <laughs> it might have been a situation, too, where Ahsoka knew that if she just outright overpowered the magistrate, that the magistrate would have still been stubborn and not willing to give up the information. Like, why should I tell you? And Because I could defeat you. And no, you can't. You didn't give me a fair fight. And now she did give a fair fight. And so now the magistrate is even more defeated because in all honesty, I did not like the fact that um, the magistrate was like able to fight against Ahsoka. I did not like the fight at all. I really went into it expecting it to be like, no contest, you know, just straight up Ahsoka, like pushing her aside or whatever. Having said that, the fact that they're fighting this hurt over the wall for the Mandalorian and for Lang. That I did like because as Robert and as Robert said already, just the fact that they're talking, they're both kind of waiting to see who's going to win. We all know Ahsoka's going to win, you know? And so I kept waiting for Lang to be like, well, there goes my paycheck, deuces, and just kind of like walk and leave away because he has no reason to fight anymore. So I was disappointed too that he decided to try that one last shot against the Mandalorian because he was a hired gun, you know, why does he care about, he even says that there, that this situation isn't worth their lives. So it, it was disappointing. Yeah. Okay, guys, let's talk about this. Holy shnikes. This is a name drop I was not expecting. And probably the one thing that single-handedly saved this episode for me. I do have to, uh, I do owe someone an apology for being Grand Admiral wrong about this. Um, he told me that he was going to show up in this episode, either by name or in person. And I told him there was no way they were going to do that, not at least in this season. And they got me. They dropped Grand Admiral Thrawn's name. And it is extremely surprising to me. It's actually pretty darn exciting. I, I don't know yet how I feel about seeing a live action Thrawn, but the fact that He's out there after what we know of his status um, in Re at the end of Rebels. Guys, please watch Rebels. Please. <laughs> yeah, the la last time we saw Thrawn was in the series finale of Rebels when he was being shot off to a random part of the galaxy with uh, the main character of that series, Ezra Bridger. And we have not seen either of them since. So this could either be a tease for a potential Ahsoka spinoff series when she's you know trying to hunt them down, uh, or it might just be a tease for a sequel series to Rebels. So could lead to another live action thing, another animated thing. 
both who knows yeah i do like though because this basically puts thrawn there when all of this is going down and he is pretty menacing so it'll be interesting to see how he plays in this or outside of this i do hope for giancarlo esposito's sake for moff gideon that thrawn is not revealed to be some kind of big bad for now i think moff gideon is doing plenty of that enough on his own um i could see maybe when you know they finally defeat gideon they kind of have this whoo glad that's over couldn't get any worse kind of moment and then the chimera jumps out of hyperspace right on top of our heroes that would be an amazing way to kind of cap off an amazing villain in moff gideon to bring in an even more powerful villain in grand admiral thrawn it would sort of bring it into around the same kind of time frame as the original now, you know, Legends continuity books, the, the Thrawn trilogy, Heir to the Empire, etc. It was it, the main premise of that was like Thrawn coming in from the unknown regions five years after Return of the Jedi. And he's like, oh, the Imperials kind of are on the run. Well, let me change that. So that, that would sort of be the same kind of situation here. Um, and going back real quick, there is a symbol um, on the forehead of the HK-87 droids that bears uh, Thrawn's 7th Fleet uh, symbol. Um, I've heard that floating around and a couple of things out on the internet. I haven't yet to go back and check it out myself, but if that is there, that is a really neat hidden foreshadowing for Thrawn's name drop just a few minutes later. So having finally been liberated, the townsfolk elect, choose a new magistrate. Maybe he was the old magistrate before Elsbeth took over. Uh, in, and Ahsoka... in, the, in the credits, he's listed as governor. So I would assume yes. Uh, and then Ahsoka gives the best car spear to Mando. Mando returns to the ship to say his goodbyes to Grogu as he intends to leave him with Ahsoka to train. Now, the on my Mandalorian's first... has got a shiny Beskar poking stick now. <laughs> poke, poke. Uh, so on my first viewing, I didn't quite get this scene but then on my second viewing, I realized that Mando intended to leave Grogu with Ahsoka and move on. And uh, there we go again, hit me right in the parenting feels. Uh, I remember the first time I left my oldest daughter at daycare, I cried all the way to work that day. <laughs> Cry some more. <laughs> so... Ahsoka meets them at the Razor Crest, uh, reiterates that the bond between the two, that the two share, uh, and she can't train him. Uh, having reneged on her deal with Mando, she tells Mando to take Grogu to the planet Tython, where he'll find an ancient ruin of a temple with strong connections to the Force. He should place Grogu on a seeing stone at the top of a mountain, and Grogu may choose his path uh, by reaching out through the Force. And a Jedi may sense his presence and come looking for him, but there aren't many Jedi left. Uh, Mando takes off with Groku, and Ahsoka walks off back to the town. Um, I do so, like so that we... So it's interesting, because in the Legends continuity, the planet Tython was actually the ancient homeworld of the Jedi. Uh, I think you even, like... I, I've never played the Old Republic MMO, but I guess that's apparently you, you even start there when you play as a Jedi in that game. But so far, we haven't really seen it mentioned too much in the current canon stories. So it'll be real neat to see what they do or what they change with Tython right now. I do like that we are getting another quest here. I have been investing a ton of time into Assassin's Creed Odyssey lately uh, and getting a new quest after for going through all that work, completing a previous one is a lot of fun. Um, again, I do worry about the connections to the larger galaxy's hand. Um, I don't want this show getting too lost and trying to, you know, connect to all of these other characters in the larger Star Wars properties. I like that the TV shows are connected. I don't want them to bring connecting it too hard back to like the, um, the actual episodic films. Um, I like the more intimate personal stakes of the show. Um, I also you know, worry about things like who is that Jedi? You know, a lot of people on the internet, just like people were saying, make Rosario Dawson Ahsoka. We're getting a lot of people saying to make, uh, what's this guy? Man, oh my gosh, the name is escaping me now. He plays Winter Soldier. Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan, who looks a lot ding, ding, like ding, 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 uh, Mark Hamill did. 
um, at his age can play Luke. And as interesting as that might be, I don't need Luke in this series. I feel like it's just going to, it's going to muddy things up too much. Like let's keep this about Mando and Grogu. Um, I mean, well, well, short of just introducing a random new Jedi that somehow survived the purge, which is a trope. It's a thing. At this point, what are the options? You've, you've either got Luke, maybe you could argue Leia, which that would run into the same problem of, yeah. Um, you have, oh, maybe they're going to try to bring Ezra into it. Maybe this is how Ahsoka helps find him or something. And then random oddball thing, because we don't know where he is in the current timeline, if he's still alive, Cal Kestis from the Jedi Fallen Order games. Mm. He could still be around. Nice. Nice. I also, um, a couple of people online were saying maybe because we don't, I mean, we kind of have a confirmed kill, but not really. And we could always retcon things. Uh, maybe Mace Windu. No, no, no. You don't want it or you don't think it's no. going to happen? No, just no, no, just no, no, no snakes in a Jedi temple. No, no, <laughs> not unless they're the, those like Dagobah snakes. <laughs> So, and then I also wonder what's next for Ahsoka and why she's looking for Thrawn. Uh, last we saw her, like James mentioned, she was off looking for Ezra. Did she find him? Uh, if she's looking for Thrawn uh, and there are people who know his whereabouts, where is Ezra? Because the two of them were last seen together. And for that matter, where's Sabine? Because Sabine left on that quest with her to find Ezra. Uh, certainly something that makes me excited for whatever potential spinoff may come of it. Where in the galaxy is Ezra Bridger? No, that's a no. Yeah. You can know Mace Windu. I can know that. Yeah, no, I want to know that as well. <laughs> no. You know where he is? Where? <laughs> He's dead, Jim. So let's share our overall thoughts on this episode. James, how about you go first? I thought it was fine. I, I don't, you know, your opinions are your own. That, that's, I guess, the whole point of opinions. But like, I, I thought the episode was really good. I, I'm. It took a while to kindly, kind of be sold on Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, and it's still disappointing on some level that they. I, I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know if Ashley Eckstein doesn't have a lot of live action credits, or maybe if they didn't expect her to be like fully physically ready for the role or something. So that's really disappointed that they couldn't throw that her way. But it is what it is. For all we know, it could just be Disney higher-ups being like, hey, let's give this to a more high-profile actor or whatever. Regardless, <clears throat> the actual you know meat of the episode was really good. For me, overall, the episode fell a little flat. Like I said, I wasn't impressed with the Ahsoka reveal. Uh, the stakes for the town and Ahsoka getting the information felt a little too ambiguous, although we probably don't feel, probably don't feel that way as much anymore. Um, we didn't know what Elsbeth was doing to the people or why. Yeah, she was probably using them as slave labor. Um, perhaps we'll learn a little bit more details later. Uh, but it didn't help not knowing at least some things for now. Um, the more I say uh, Grogu's name, the less disappointed I am with it. Perhaps it is growing on me. And one day I'll come to think it is good. Thanks, James. That was my joke you killed. Although I may have killed it myself. Uh, who knows? I am still excited for what's next, though, um, but I remain cautiously, cautiously optimistic um, as the show has yet to disappoint me until this episode. Um, I hope this is just a one-off. Maybe it, we can blame Filoni's live-action directing inexperience. I mean, he has directed two other episodes, but one of those was the Gunslinger chapter, and a lot of the, at least amongst most reviewers, that is listed amongst their least favorite episodes of the series so far. Um, but I still trust him. I still think the episode was good. It just fell below my expectations for an Ahsoka reveal episode. And, uh, while I agree with James Rosario Dawson did do a good job with Ahsoka. I just can't help but being pulled out of the moment when I don't hear Ashley Eckstein's voice, but I'm sure like Grogu, she'll grow on me. Yeah. One more thing I forgot to bring up the, the, the ending was just kind of little disappointing for me like only in the sense of like i thought for sure we were going to end on some sort of cliffhanger of like somebody being captured by moff gideon like he's going to come in with his maybe dark trooper uh project or whatever 
but I, I guess I'm going to probably chalk this up to if he's tracking Mandalorian, maybe he, you know, from a distance saw, oh, meeting up with Ahsoka and, you know, I need to wait because my forces maybe can't take both of them together at the same time. It's just, I, I thought for sure we'd get some sort of like cliffhanger ending here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree more with James on this. Uh, I personally wasn't disappointed with Soka's reveal and I had no qualms with uh, the performance by the live actor compared to the voice actor. I think she did a great job. I kind of s- could hear the despair- the um, the difference in the voices, but it wasn't too jarring for me. It didn't really draw me on the moment. She, she um, at least had the mannerisms down. Yes. And I think that was the, the whole. <laughs> I feel like this episode was more intended to reveal more of Grogu's past and and how we got to where we first met him back in chapter one. And then that kind of framed this episode around that needing to reveal that information. Uh, I am glad that Ahsoka was an integral part of this chapter story and that we weren't strung along knowing she's going to be in it just to have the last minute. Ta-da! Um, I was also honestly kind of hoping that Ahsoka was going to become a more permanent character, at the very least accompany them until Grogu gets to his next destination, wherever that may be. So the fact they just kind of left her behind, or at least it appears they left her behind, I was kind of disappointed, but whatever. Um, I didn't like the Elspeth versus Ahsoka fight directly, as I mentioned, and I really, really, really cannot overstate how much I hate the backward script that Ahsoka is known for. We have so much documentation in military history that that is not a valid fighting stance with a long-bladed weapon. And every time she uses it, I cringe. And I really hate the fact that the fight turns around to Ahsoka's favor when she loses her one lightsaber and then she flips the other one around because everybody's like, oh, there she is. She's going to start fighting now. And it's like, no, it's not viable. Stop it. Stop ruining physics. You're not a Jedi, Nathan. What's What's that? You're not a Jedi, though. I'm not a Jedi, you're right, and I've never wielded a lightsaber, but that doesn't change how a long-bladed weapon works in real life, especially for a human bipedal. Ah, ah, but is this show in real life? Yes, it is. Or is it just a fantasy? It's not a fantasy. Caught in a landslide. No, (laughs) no landslide. Get back up there, dirt. You don't belong down here. (laughs) Um, More importantly, though, is I'm unsure how I feel about Thrawn. I, I want to clarify, I love the character Thrawn. I've loved reading all the books with, that Timothy Zahn has written about him, and I love his incorporation to Rebels and everything. I just, I'm worried that with him being defeated by a human child in the Rebels show, that someone somewhere is going to think, oh, he's going to be coming back for revenge, and he's going to be hot-headed, and he's going to be looking to kill everybody he can or whatever. And it's just, if that's how you think Thrawn is, you don't know Thrawn. He is cold, he is calculating. You know, if he does get revenge, it is very underhanded and pretty much only he knows about it. So I'm just, I'm, I'm very worried about where they're going to go with Thrawn and what kind of menace he can bring to the table. And I just, I have to wait. I'm sure he was probably just chilling out there in space with Ezra and the space whales. And he's all like, it is what it is. Art. Chilling. I get it. Anyways, let us know what your thoughts are on chapter 13, The Jedi, in the comments below. Well, that wraps up this episode of My Mando and Me. Join us next week for Chapter 14. If you enjoyed our show, be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss future episodes of My Mando and Me. And even if you didn't like it, you can still do the same thing. Please and thank you. Thanks again for joining us. See you all in the next one. Bye-bye. Be good to each other out there. You've been listening to My Mando and Me. Presented by the This Is Going To Be Terrible podcast. Hosted by Robert Green, James Altman, and Nathan Thieneman. For more information about our podcast, visit our website, thisisgoingtobeterrible.show, or find us on Facebook by searching for This Is Going To Be Terrible, a podcast. Thanks for listening.